As we come to worship the Lord this morning, I want to turn your attention to Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, a text that is familiar to all of you, I'm sure. It is really the Great Commission text from the book of Acts. And Jesus, just before His ascension, said this, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Today is an important milestone in our church's history as we have our first ever graduating class from the Faithful Men's School of Pastoral Training. It's our hope and desire and prayer that there will be many more in the years to come. This is just the first of many that God will raise up in our midst. And of course, the desire is for God to provide for us qualified elders, deacons, gifted brothers, who can preach the gospel certainly among us, but also our desire is that God in His time will raise up men that we can send out to plant churches in domestic and international contexts. That's our desire because our goal is to spread the glory of God all over this world. And so that's our desire. And when we look at these words, there's really, in many ways, you can look at it as both a prophecy and a paradigm that Jesus has given us. It's a prophecy because He says, starting where you are, here in the city of Jerusalem, preach the gospel. And after you've preached the gospel in this city, preach it into the surrounding region of Judea. And then preach it into Samaria, which is geographically close to you. But then you're going to preach it even to the othermost parts of the, of the earth. And if you look at Acts itself, what you find is Jesus has given the outline, as it were, of the book of Acts. Because all those things happen throughout the book of Acts and its history. But you can also view it. Not only as a prophecy that was fulfilled, just as Jesus said it would be, but you can view it as a paradigm. That is, when we look at our own uh, church, we think about where we are, and that our job is to, first of all, seek to win our city, then seek to win the county within which that city is. But then we move out from that because, think about it, Jerusalem and Judea, they were geographically close. They were also culturally very familiar. This is Jews reaching other Jews. But then what about Samaria? Samaria was a place geographically close, but culturally it was far, far away. You had to go across cultures in order to reach the Samaritans, which is why it was very slow going for the church to reach them until finally Philip broke through that barrier and began to preach. Even so, you don't have to leave our county or our city in order to do cross-cultural ministry, because there's a number of ethnicities and cross-cultural people living in our very area. But then we think about the uttermost part of the earth. That is crossing international barriers and going to unreached people groups and language groups and things like that. So there's a paradigm here. Now, you may be sitting there thinking, okay, pastor, this is wonderful. That's all great and good. But I thought this was supposed to be a call to worship. I thought this was supposed to be an enticement for us to worship the Lord, to open up our palate, as it were, give us an appetizer so we'll worship the Lord. How in the world does Acts 1.8 make fodder for us to worship? I'm really glad you asked the question because I was about to get there. We think of missions, rightly, as starting where we are and moving outward. But think about 2,000 years ago in 30 AD when Jesus first spoke these words. Where was he? He was in Jerusalem. He was on the Mount of Olives when he said these words to his apostles. From the perspective of where Jesus was standing, what was the farthermost part place in the earth? We were the farthest 
farthest away. We were the ones distant. In fact, at that time, the inhabitants of Europe and of the Middle East and of Africa weren't even aware that this continent existed. And they would not be aware until the 1490s when Columbus would sail here. And then we became aware suddenly that there were these thousands upon thousands of people who've been living here for over a thousand years who had the light of creation, but they did not have the light of the gospel. And that light would not be come here until about 1630 when the Puritans sailed and set up the Jamestown settlement. And then the pilgrims came over and the gospel began to be preached upon this continent. Now, here's my question for you. Does God owe any of you the gospel? Does he owe me the gospel? Does God owe us the chance to be saved? Does he owe us the opportunity to be saved? And we know what the answer to that question is. He doesn't owe us anything. We can give God thanks continually every day that he hasn't given us what he owes us. But nonetheless, he has favored us in that he has allowed us to be under the hearing of the gospel, to have it preached to us constantly. I have lost count of the number of times I've had Jesus Christ and him crucified preached to me in my lifetime. And yet the Lord has blessed us with that light. And if you're in Christ, He's also blessed you with repentance and with faith so that you embraced that message by faith. We are about to sing in just a moment how sweet and awesome is the place. And it begins with this contemplation. Why did I receive the gospel when others who heard it turned away from it and denied it and rejected it? You see, the Lord has shown us such mercy. And without the the cause of world missions, you and I would be lost. We would be ignorant pagans right now, except God has been merciful to us to give us the gospel. We're so familiar with the gospel that we're prone to take it for granted. It's like our Bibles. We have the Bible in our own language in multiple translations, and so we learn to despise it. We learn to take it for granted, assuming that everyone has access to the Bible the same way we do. Well, there are many millions who've never even heard that God, the God who created them, has a son named Jesus who died for sinners like us. And yet we have been given that message over and over and over again. So what should our response be? Should it not be to worship? Should it not be to give thanks to God that He made His gospel and His light of His Son known to us? That's a treasure we should never take for granted. And so let's worship this great God who's revealed Himself to us in His Son this day. Let's open in prayer. Father, we come before you in the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and we praise you and thank you for all your many mercies and blessings upon us. Thank you that you've not withheld your gospel from us. We praise you that you have given it to us, and not only have you given it to us, you've granted us faith that we might lay a hold of it and believe in your Son and be saved. We thank you for the revelation of your righteousness, which you have given us. We pray that you'll help us to be full of your Spirit so that we might worship you in an acceptable manner this day. Let it come up before you as a sweet-smelling aroma in your nostrils. We pray that our singing and the reading of Scripture and the preaching of the Word, and Lord, in the singing of your praises, all of these things will be well-pleasing to you, and that you'll use them to narrow our hearts together in faith. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.